The news broke this morning that the former athletic director at the University of Connecticut, Lou Perkins, passed away at the age of 78. He was the AD at UConn from 1990 until 2003. And in 2011, Paul Pendergast became the interim athletic director at the University of Connecticut. He joins me this morning to share memories and the legacy of the late Lou Perkins. Paul, good morning. Thanks for joining me on a sad day for UConn Athletics. And just to set the record straight with Lou Perkins, he was a giant of a man in many ways, and he did a lot of good things for the University of Connecticut, didn't he? He did an amazing number of things. He was a giant of a man, both uh, figuratively and realistically, because <laughs> he was he packed about 450 pounds around that frame of his. And a uh, little-known fact about his background, he was a high school All-American at Chelsea High School, which is uh, one of the uh, suburban areas, I'll call it, in Boston, and high school All-American, then went on to the University of Iowa and played varsity basketball there until he wrecked his knee, and that was the end of his basketball career, playing career. Paul, what was your reaction when you heard that Lou Perkins had passed away? On one sense, I would think that you weren't surprised because his health had not been good the last couple of years. That is correct. Uh, We know that... uh, uh, he'd been suffering a lot. Uh, he actually had a, uh, a leg that was amputated because of diabetes, and uh, so suffered from depression a lot uh, because he was such an active man uh, his whole life. And when it became less so uh, in these years uh, leading up to his passing, uh, it really caused uh, a lot of mental distress for him as well as physical. But uh, but a giant of a man. I'll give you a couple of little-known facts around uh, Lou's uh, being a, a big guy, Tom Weston, who I think is retired from the University of Connecticut, but Tom in the business office used to have to do the uh, seating when we'd fly charter with both men's basketball and women's basketball and football. So Tom on the charge from Lou was, I, I don't weigh 450 pounds. Now, just spread that all around to everybody else on the plane so that when they look at the manifest, they'll they'll see that uh, Lou Perkins is seated right front, but uh, his weight was going to be about half of what it was. And Tom would tell you that's a true story. <clears throat> right, because the charter companies need to know passengers' weights, including the big guys on the football team, so they can balance out the plane. Exactly right, yeah. So that was one one other little-known fact, and I'll go into a few other things But uh, for your listening audience. Lou, uh, his primary home in uh, times he was the athletic director was in Cromwell at TPC. And uh, all those are uh, kind of condominium dwellings uh, that uh, people would own. And Lou's, uh, like many of his neighbors, would rent his out to the professional golfers coming in for what was just played uh, recently, the TPC uh, Traveler Championship on the tour. <coughs> Lou's condo at that time for the week would go to Sergio Garcia. And Sergio was uh, uncoupled at the time, so to speak, so his mom would travel for him. His mom would cook for him, his, uh, his, his favorite Spanish dishes and so forth. So, again, a couple of little-known facts about Lou's weight and uh, Lou's uh, living conditions. There was great success for UConn athletics teams during Lou Perkins' tenure, including six national championships, four of those for women's basketball, of course, the men's title in 1999, and one in men's soccer as well. But let's talk facilities. There were some great advances with the UConn facilities on Lou's watch. Well, for sure. The, the facilities that he inherited, uh, there was there was no Gample. Gample was uh, 
under construction, so to speak, at the time. But it was up to him to find the money to complete the Gample. And Gample, um, as far as the in- indoor uh, inside arena was concerned, was not the seating it is today. So um, he got a, an arena that was about 7,800 seating, and then he knocked out the corners and brought it to whatever it is now, 10,160 or so. Wayno, you would know the exact number from, from all your days. Well, it actually went up a little bit closer to 11. Now I think it's 101.67. But when it first opened, uh, which was actually pretty close to the beginning of Lou's tenure there, it was a couple of thousand less than that, that game against St. John's back in 1990. And, of course, Rensselaer Field happened on Lou's watch and because of Lou Perkins. What was his role in getting UConn big-time football in general and the great stadium in particular? Great question, because it wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened without the, the, the Rensselaer particularly. would not have happened without the, and I'll call it the Trinity work, so to speak, of Lou Perkins, John Rowland, governor at the time, and Tom Ritter, Speaker of the House at the time. Those three people uh, convinced the legislature to spend the money to build Rensselaer, and it was going to be $93 million and not a penny more. <laughs> and when it got down to the last couple of million dollars, where are we going to, are the locker rooms going to be the same size? What kind of scoreboard are we going to have and so forth? So they, Lou got it done. He never cut the ribbon on it because he left to go to the University of Kansas just before the first game. And uh, Wayno, did we play Indiana in that first game? Indiana, they uh, won that first game at Rensselaer Field. And of course, Dan Orlovsky was the quarterback there. And that run began really with that game at Rensselaer Field. And they went on to the bowl game in 2004, the Motor City Bowl. And of course, they played in a New Year's Day bowl game on January 1st, 2011, which would be Lou Perkins' last year there. But I often think that when you consider where UConn had been with football, one double A football, playing Rhode Island, Massachusetts, BU, Vermont, New Hampshire. And now you're playing on New Year's Day in Glendale, Arizona against Oklahoma. Yeah, UConn lost. That's not the point. The point is how quickly they came in a short period of time. And I got to think that Lou Perkins had a big thing to do with that. And part of that was because he's the one that hired Randy Edsel, who took them to those heights. Well, and, and frankly, I, I've got enough material here for. <laughs> Uh, of this show and a few others probably, but I'm going to kind of cover a, a top ten, if you will, of things. And one of the ones you just mentioned was hiring Randy Etzel, but uh, kind of taking it from the top, the big moments, when he came in, the first thing he had to do was make sure that Jim and Gino were not going to uh, be leaving because they had offers to leave from other places, offers for even more money than they were getting paid at UConn. Uh, Jim to go to the University of South Carolina at one point, and Gino could have gone any place on the planet, but it, it was going to be whoever was going to be playing Tennessee every year. But that was, that was UConn. So the big moments in Lou's uh, athletic director life. First, that was the stabilization of Jim and Gino. Secondly, the hiring initially of Skip Holtz from the uh, University of Notre Dame, where he was coaching with his dad, and then that was in '94. Skip left to go back to uh, working with his dad at the University of South Carolina. But uh, Skip had a pretty good run himself uh, as the head coach. Neither one of these guys, both Randy and Skip, had ever been head coaches before. And that was part of the genius of Lou, was spotting people with that kind of talent and interest to be a head coach. The other, uh, keeping going down on my top ten list, as I call it, full acceptance 
into the Big East, driven by football. And that wasn't an easy thing to do, and we can expand on that, but let me keep going. To build Rensselaer, and we just talked about that, it had to happen because the Patriots had teased us with they were going to build a stadium in downtown Hartford. And I think your listening audience will remember the steps on that. So they got very close, and then uh, uh, Mr. Kraft decided he'd do the moonwalk and go back and build his own stadium in Foxborough. <clears throat> Next was, you mentioned, that the men's basketball first national championship. University of Connecticut became men's basketball national champions uh, back in 1999 uh, in St. Petersburg. And that was the parade that they had, the parade that they had after that uh, national championship victory is the biggest parade the city of Hartford has ever seen before and since. The biggest. Wayne, did, what did we say last night? 350,000 people? Well, it's hard to count that many people, but that's what the estimate was, and that was probably the biggest ever. You're right. I would think maybe the second biggest was the combo men and women's parade when they both won the championship in 2004. Yeah, it was big. Yeah, it was big. So just continuing, we talked about the, the build-out of Gample as part of, part of the top ten. Uh, he increased fundraising for uh, athletics to the point where overall fundraising for the University of Connecticut athletics was two-thirds of what was raised every year. And he and D. Rowe initially, and then myself coming in, uh, being a fundraiser and so forth, those were the halcyon and fun days. He got an ice hockey rink built, the Freitas Forum. Men's ice hockey, uh, and there was no women's ice hockey. It was a club sport. Men's ice hockey was playing in a Quonset hut outdoors with just a covering. $2 million hockey arena, which has, of course, now been replaced with a Toscano Family Ice Forum. But to make the point... That under Lou Perkins, UConn became big-time hockey, and now they're a program that is ranked in the top 20. Yeah, and another big hire that he made, and it was, again, taking a chance on an assistant uh, coach. Jim Penders was an assistant to Andy Baylock and uh, sat on the bench for several years when Andy as a coach, played there for Andy uh, as a catcher. But uh, today, uh, Jimmy's been so close to going to Omaha, they got within uh, one game. A couple of years ago, and Stanford beat him out to go to Omaha. But that's Jimmy's legacy with Lou, uh, huge for UConn baseball. And then the last thing I have here was Lou left in 2003 to go to the University of Kansas to be their uh, athletic director and and uh, led them at one point to an Orange Bowl victory, a 12 and one uh, finish for the the and Kansas football had been nowhere after the Gale Sayers years. They've been nowhere, and Lou turned that around as well. So uh, what he did for UConn and Kansas, but principally UConn, and the things that you and I have already talked about this morning, and, and all those great moments, uh, Lou Perkins, giant of a man, for sure. That was a great list, Paul. I appreciate you putting that together. In 2000, Lou Perkins became the inaugural winner of the National Athletic Director of the Year Award. And speaking of uh, national awards, there's an, a, a trophy called the Sears Trophy, which is now called the Learfield Directors Cup. Explain what that is and what Lou Perkins felt that represented. Well, it, it, academics uh, and the graduation rate and uh, the reputation of the University of Connecticut was also on the rise, but athletics was a big help in that because uh, many programs uh, don't take as serious as Lou Perkins did about the academic ec- excellence demanded <laughs> and it fell to the coaches first, making sure that their 
They're student athletes. We're going to graduate on time and excel in the classroom itself. So you mentioned about the trophy, one time called the Sears Trophy, and now it's called the Learfield, uh, Learfield Trophy. Had to do with both athletic prowess and academic as well, as well as community involvement. So there's uh, a few different measurement factors. And uh, Lou got it, well, they were nowhere for a long, the longest time. Lou got us into the top 10 at one point, top five. And Stanford uh, probably had the best record of all over those years. The University of Michigan was probably close, pretty close as well. But he took very, very seriously the fact that we want to win, but we want to win on the field and in the classroom. And, and Lou took uh, personal interest in all those things and, and laid it heavy on his coaches to make sure that that was going to be the case. And that leads me into another concept about Lou Perkins is that, of course, the big-time sports, I'm talking the, the money-makers or money-generating sports, including basketball and, and football, but he was a big promoter of all sports at UConn. It wasn't just the ones that make the headlines. Great call on that, uh, Wayne, because you're exactly right. It mattered to him how track and field was doing. He, he uh, got Greg Roy from being an assistant coach in track and field to – producing Olympic-type athletes, not just how great they were at UConn itself, but they wanted to be Olympians of these. And the women's, women's track and field program as well. Swimming, tennis, golf, everything mattered to Lou. Everything mattered to Lou. And uh, certainly football and two basketballs were prima facie and, and what mattered most. And uh, they were the revenue producers, <clears throat> for sure. The others didn't produce revenue, but they sure cost to put on the road and, and uh, uh, pay the coaches and go out and recruit the right athletes and so forth. So really good call for you on the fact that the overall program for Lou Perkins, and it was 24 varsity sports, uh, mattered just as much from one to the other. And lastly, after 14 years at UConn, he went on to become very successful athletic director at the University of Kansas, Kansas University. In fact, they won the Gator Bowl in 2008 and the Men's National Championship. And Time Magazine named Lou Perkins one of the top 35 sports executives in the world, the only collegiate executive to make the list. So he did well after he left the University of Connecticut, but I think his legacy might have been forgotten. And I think that's one reason why we had to bring in Paul Pendergast this morning to give you some memories of why Lou Perkins was so special, so important to the University of Connecticut. Paul, thanks for your time this morning and for sharing those great thoughts. It was a pleasure, Wayno. Again, uh, God bless the, the heart and soul of Lou Perkins. Uh, there will be no uh, funeral, and uh, you'll read about it, I'm sure, in the Hartford Current and other papers this week, uh, a lot more than what I just said about Lou Perkins. But thank you, Wayno, for allowing me the time to honor my friend. Paul Pendergast was the interim athletic director at UConn beginning in September of 2011, talking about the late Lou Perkins, who passed away at the age of 78 yesterday. He was the UConn athletic director from 1990 to 2003. 14 WILI Willimantic, 95.3 FM.